You're listening to Write Right with the Story Perfect Editing team. Visit us at www.storyperfectediting.com for more information on developmental editing, copy editing, and proofreading services for your writing. Season 1, Episode 7. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Write Right Podcast with the Story Perfect Editing team. Last time we talked about your first time with an editor, and editors are focused on rules. Uh, But this time we're going to talk about when you can break the rules, uh, because that's a really important piece of of the writing puzzle. Um, But first we're going to introduce ourselves. I am Elon. I am an apprentice editor with Story Perfect, and John, who's going to be up next, will tell you all about himself. (laughs) Well, I'm John, and I am the senior editor and the guy who keeps things together sometimes. So, uh, I'm Katie. I am the, I don't know, chief copy editor and only copy editor <laughs> at Story Perfect. Of course. I'm Dale. I'm still a junior editor, surprisingly, but I'm keeping it in there. So, yep. And yeah. Still, only two weeks, and here you are, still a junior editor. <laughs> what happened to your rise, Dale? Stardom <laughs> uh, fades. He's just waiting till he can be senior editor, and I'll be the underdog. This 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 uh, mutiny has been long in the works. <laughs> and, and I'm Ian. I am an apprentice editor still, sadly. Um, <laughs> it's an okay club. To but be you're learning game. lots. We're together, Elon. What are you reading, Elon? What am I reading? Uh, so I told you about Central Station. Uh, a mm-hmm. couple weeks ago, which was awesome. I'm still reading that book, uh, Reading Like a Writer by Francine Prose, and her name is, which is amazing, um, which is just a spectacular book. Um, I'm also currently listening uh, because audible.com provides me with my Warbler project with audiobooks, which is like the coolest thing that's ever happened to me, um, except the other stuff. Um, <laughs> So Audible sent over this book called Octavia's Brood, which is a series of short sci-fi stories from uh, active uh, social justice activists, particularly in the in the black community. Uh, it is a book. Um, the reason it's called Octavia's Brood is because um, they are all inspired by Octavia Butler, a tremendously uh, skilled uh, sci-fi writer from the seventies and eighties, um, who. Uh, who is also who who is also very focused on social justice, particularly for people of color. Um, the anthology is really interesting because um, it features a lot of writers who were activists first, uh, many of whom had never written science fiction, and so you get this sort of full gamut uh, from you know really skilled sci-fi writers to someone who's never been in the genre, um, and you can see sort of how um, ideas manifest uh, for people of different. Uh, of, I suppose skill levels with sci-fi. Um, it's a great anthology. I highly recommend it. The reader is also really good. So um, if you want to get it on Audible, you should go do that. Cool. Who's this? John? Well, I I am still reading Lord of the Rings. I'm. A, let me talk about how I read. I I because I'm so busy in the day. I set times aside. I tend to read in the morning and in the evening. So in the morning I. I'm working my way through fantasy books. That's going to be my little, my little fun adventure over the next year or two. And I'm so I mean, Lord of the Rings, probably Harry Potter next. I want to return to a lot of my core influences, 
And in the evening, I tend to read craft books. Um, I mentioned uh, Stephen James' Story Trump Structure. Um, I'm kind of bouncing between that and another book uh, called Successful Self-Publishing by Joanna Penn. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. Um, like this, this book, uh, I mean, if you haven't heard of Joanna Penn, go and check her out. It's thecreativepen.com. She, she is on a mission to help and empower self-publishing authors just in terms of all the different things out there to help you put out the best book possible. Um, and this, this book is free. And she lays out all the different things that you need to do in order to successfully self-publish a book. Um, nice. I'm reading it for personal interest. Just, uh, I mean, my book, Blood Dawn, I mean, I'm going to spend quite a bit of time perfecting it before it goes anywhere. But I want to know a little bit about that myself. But on the other hand, uh, it's a great chance to announce some news about our company. We, we recently incorporated. So we're actually a, a corporate company called Story Perfect, or Story Perfect Inc. Uh, so Story Perfect Editing Services is now a division of that corporation. Um, and we are going to be expanding to help authors who are self-publishing. So we're going to get into doing some things like covers, book formatting, and media kits for authors, among other things. So reading this is also a great way for me to know what kind of things authors need so we could, we could look at doing more than just editing. But we're going to specialize here as Story Perfect. So, yeah, Katie. I'll drink to that. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to read that <laughs> after I'm done with this book, which actually I just finished like yesterday. I finished it for a book club. It's called The Unit by Ninny Holmquist. And it is a Nordic sci-fi book. Um, it, it's marketed as sci-fi, although I will say I felt it was more of a drama. It was just sort of like against the backdrop of some dystopian society. But um, it was really, um, I don't I, I want to say it was just very like socially topical and interesting. It's sort of similar to Logan's Run, but um, is much shorter and much more to the point. And uh, also, it's a translated book because it was originally in uh, Swedish, I think. Um, so it's just always really interesting to me to read books that have been translated. Um, usually, I like to read them in, in languages where I speak both so I can compare. This one I don't. But uh, I there are clear cultural differences. So you wonder, like, oh, I didn't really like that. And you're like, I don't know. Maybe that's just how it is in Sweden. I don't know. Uh, so it was it was a really fun read, but it was also like a very sad dystopian novel, which it's been rainy here. So I was in the mood for it, you know. What about you, Dale? Uh, me? <laughs> I'm still reading kind of boring books as usual. I'm still reading um, Classics on Organization Theory, 6th edition. So. Oh, <laughs> the 6th like, like edition. Yeah, it, really the differences are the numerous. Of the fifth. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, you you get you get one more title. It's um, some something called I don't know right now, and I don't care that much. But it's a good book. It's a good book. Getting <laughs> smarter as you read it. The truest <laughs> student. But um, in all honesty, like okay, uh, uh, apart from that that book. Oh no! Um, we have swears. No, 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 no you wait, we'll cancel that out. <laughs> but um. <laughs> But uh, aside from that book, yes, exactly. Uh, apart from that book, I've actually recently bought this James Joyce's Ulysses, considered oh. the greatest oh, novel in English literature. Yeah. My mother and the hardest to read. Master's thesis. Oh, I about do. Mm. 
So. Katie, were you saying something? Oh, uh, no, I Ulysses is great. You don't have to okay. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> get, oh. get in there with it, Katie. I, hey, I just think that Ulysses is a book people, you know, sometimes you're like, this is a classic, and then you read it, and you're like, what the heck is going on here? James Joyce, <laughs> no! I don't think it's the greatest book. I think it is a book that people write papers over. I think it's a really good academic book, because there's a lot to write about, uh, but it's not a fun read. It's not that, <laughs> like... It's not, it's not a scary. I just show. bought it. I would love to go deeper into this kind of conversation sometime because this idea hey. that books are objectively important uh, does not necessarily mean they're good subjectively. Yeah. Yes. Uh, exactly. when I was in when I was in college, you know, I had all these you know English major friends who were like, "Oh, but these are the books that my professor believes to be the greatest of all books." And I'm like, "Yeah, but do you believe that? Like, how, like I don't believe that. The greatest book is actually, you know." Uh, Let me tell you that I had a lot of academic proposals turned down because there wasn't enough um, works I could cite in my work. They're like, you can't talk about this topic because you don't have any references. And I'm like, isn't, doesn't that mean it's an important topic? Like no one has talked about it yet. And to me that meant, yeah, I should cover it. But because they, I couldn't like cite other important scholars who had worked on it, I wasn't able to like get it approved. Which to me was just the whole system. I was against the man. I went very Fight Club. Hey, oh. I disappeared for a few years. It sounds like to me, Katie, <laughs> you were breaking the rules. Oh my God, I was. Why? Yes, wow. I was breaking the rules. Um, I was breaking them gladly. So yeah, that can lead us super smoothly into our topic for today's podcast, which I remind you listeners is breaking the rules. Um, so grammar, you know, it's a system of rules and they, and they govern critical elements of how we communicate. Even if we don't think about them consciously while we talk to each other, grammar plays a huge role in how we process language as it comes into us. We can hear commas as pauses and periods. We can even sometimes hear semicolons. We can hear parentheticals. Um, and so the same thing takes place when we read a book. Um, we read it out loud in our own heads um, and grammar really helps us to pace the story. Um, some rules, however, can be broken, while others absolutely cannot. Um, and we're going to talk today if the same is true of grammar when writing fiction. Um, and that answer isn't exactly yes, and it, is, it isn't exactly no. Uh, and I think, as John was saying before we hit record here, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to spark perhaps some interesting debate. Uh, to begin, uh, Ian brought up something interesting before the podcast started, and that was about dialogue, where all rules are broken and nothing matters. Um, <laughs> And, so whose line is it anyway? Yeah, totally right. uh, the point, what is it? The points are made up and the rules don't matter? Yeah, the points are made up and the rules don't matter. That's a great show. <laughs> um, but we're going to save dialogue for another conversation, another podcast episode, because it's such a big topic. Uh, so what we're going to focus on is grammar and narration, uh, grammar outside of the scope of dialogue, um, and just talk about whether or not and how rules can be broken. Um, I've spoken enough. I'm going to over <laughs> to you guys. I mean, I'll just start by saying that it largely depends on your narrator. So if you have a first-person narration, then the rules, you're not necessarily breaking them, but the rules are different from, for you. So if you're writing uh, a fantasy book that's in first-person and he's like a 60-year-old wizard, then clearly like the things you expect from him and the things he is able to do are different than uh, like a first-person children's book where the protagonist is 12. You know, like the rules for vocabulary are different based on the reader's expectations. And what you don't want to do 
like it's good to challenge readers expectations but not to the point where they're taken out of your fiction like why would a 12 year old know such like five dollar words you don't want to be throwing vocabulary that's inappropriate in because you don't want people constantly questioning your logic you want them to just question like oh i didn't expect that and that was fun you don't want them like just antagonizing over every detail um you 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 have to go with the rules for the most part so that when you break a rule it's clear that you did it on purpose and for effect yeah the rule that i like to use when deciding whether or not the rules should be broken is is it clear in what you've done that that in itself is a rule so you're, <laughs> you have you're a lot trumping. of rules, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought about that before I said it because I wanted to make sure I didn't trip on my tongue. <laughs> but I mean, that's the idea that it's you're 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 sort of pulling a trump card and the reader should be able to see that and appreciate it and feel like it's yeah. actually part of the, the rules that you're laying out and saying, I mean, in a way, when you write a story you're you're kind of playing a game with the reader saying and i'm this are these are the this is what you can expect of me you're setting up expectations so we all know the rules of grammar and and kind of have that from our experience from reading articles you know reading books and so if you're going to set something different up you just better make sure that that's clear to the reader um, don't suddenly change your um, double quotation marks in dialogue to single quotation marks right, later on just sense. because it, you want to. Yeah, it has no effect. Yeah. yeah these are the Unless it's a parallel. Bigger. Like, you know, like uh, someone who, someone who like speaks wrong or something like that or has like a weird hmm. like, neurological issue. That Maybe oh, then you can break weird rules like that, but like. Um, I would still change it in copy editing. Of course. <laughs> would you say that um, breaking grammar rules is only confined to specifically first-person narrations? If it's in third-person and you're breaking grammatical rules, I think it will pull the reader out. Because third-person, even if it's cl uh, close third, it, I, I think you just can't really do it in third effectively. And I could be wrong, but I, I just haven't seen any good examples of it. I've seen it happen, but never really with any impact. Yeah, I for sure. I think. The, sorry, go for it, Dale. Sorry, I, I wanted to say that the only time where a third-person narration actually works for breaking grammar rules is when it's not necessarily fiction, but actually just poetry. Mm. Right, poetry doesn't even have grammar. It's just like <laughs> words and spaces and put a semicolon in it. Woo! Yeah. And I can You're say that because art. I am a poet and I'm a published poet, and I can say that no one cares where you put semicolons in poetry and it's beautiful. Well, one of the <laughs> things about poetry is that the physical shape of the written words has, uh, yeah, has it plays a role. Um, yeah. And I will say I have seen fiction that does that, mm -hmm. and it's wonderful. Yeah. But it is not, it's the exception that proves the rule, I think. <laughs> in some, uh, sorry, go for it, go for it. in some cases, isn't uh, first person um, narration kind of like mental dialogue in itself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that yeah. sort of leads yeah. into what I was about to say, Ian. That's a perfect segue, yeah. which was uh, that, you know, these, these decisions are about character voice. Um, and so mm -hmm. with, when you're in first person, you're much closer to the internal monologue, and you are going to be uh, reflecting that choice with grammar and with with diction, with vocabulary. Uh, in third person, 
you still give character voice, um, but it's slightly more distant, so those decisions are largely vocabulary-based as opposed to grammatical. Because um, you can be super in character with third person. I mean, if you read the entire Wheel of Time, yeah, yeah. that there's a bunch of different characters and they all talk very differently, but it's all in third person. Um, and, you know, people's opinions of the quality of those books notwithstanding, that's a pretty undeniable fact that there's a lot of different uh, vocal changes in a third person manuscript, a multi POV third person manuscript. Um, so these are the kinds of decisions that affect how people will read your characters in their heads. Um, and out loud, you know, I've said this before on the podcast, but I really encourage everyone when you're writing fiction to read your work out loud, even if you, st and like, it's just, especially if you stumble over it, you'll be like, oh, you know, maybe someone will stumble over that at some point. Um, I've certainly written unwieldy sentences only, and only discovered them after reading them aloud. Um, especially like reading them to someone. So like, you know, I'll read some, I'll, I'll write something and I'll be like, hey, you know, to my girlfriend, I'll be like, hey, Crystal, um. Can I just read you something real quick? And even if she listens with half an ear, the action of reading it aloud to a listener um, to try to convey that emotion and stuff, it really comes through uh, how I've written the grammar out and how, which rules I've decided to uh, enforce. Yeah, well, and I mean, just even outside of um, grammar rules, there are like craft rules, right? And Craft rules are interesting because the kind of the short of it is that if you want to be published by the big five traditional publishers, you can't break craft rules. Your book has to be formed from A to B like all the other books on the shelf at Barnes & Noble. And that's just what they want. And that's fine. There are a lot of really great books written that way. But if you want to break those rules, you have to realize that you're going to be on like a little lonely island. And, and books that are written outside of of those rules often win awards and are, but they have to be really, really great. There's just no, there's no middle ground <laughs> with breaking the rules. It's like, I, I read this book called no one is ever missing. And the way that it broke the rules is that nothing happened. It was just internal, like monologue. There was, there was no event. There was no like arch. It was just like her on a road trip looking at stuff. And, but you go on like an emotional journey with her as she thinks that's like, you just wouldn't expect. And, and it won some awards and I really loved reading it, but it, I couldn't read more than one book like that. Probably, you know, like I would be like, this one was good. And then that the standard is so high that you can, you just can't have too many books that break those rules. Yeah. Everything down the road from that, that, that employs the same techniques will just like feel derivative. Um, exactly. So there's like exactly. this sort of mainstream center of the road type of manuscript. I, I would love to hear more about these craft rules sort of in detail. I think that would really be helpful. Um, yeah. I think you're talking about like a three acts, you know, or like <laughs> yeah, more like story, like, you know, you follow these sort of traditions. There's yeah, like, up to the like denouement kind of deal. You know, you follow Joseph, uh, Joseph, what is it? What's his name? <laughs> I don't know who we're talking about. Elon. Joseph. Joseph. And his oh technical <laughs> I'm trying to not forget the hero with a thousand faces. I don't know. <laughs> Just, uh, what, what genre? It's not a genre. He was a researcher. He studied mythology. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, no. What's, what's the dude's name? Joseph. It's probably History not Joseph. of Joseph to be solved next time. Joseph Campbell. Not jo <laughs> I was going to say Joseph Smith. Uh, That's the Mormon guy. Okay. That's like a totally yeah. different kettle of fish. Just he broke all the rules in his book. I'll say that. 
Joseph, Joseph Campbell Smith? or Joseph Smith? Yeah, there's a lot of rules oh. broken with that. <laughs> but, Our critique yeah, of Mormonism I mean, yeah, I mean, next episode. Yeah. <laughs> the episode that didn't get uploaded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I mean, our breaking craft rules is more risky than breaking grammar rules uh, mm-hmm. because if you break craft rules it can largely affect whether you are published or not um, if you're aiming to be published by a publisher if you're self-publishing you have a lot more freedom to break rules and make artistic choices and I think that's kind of awesome because there is so little acceptance of it in the big publishing world you know like they want they want what they want they you know they want books that that fit this mold and like i said right and then until someone writes you know the next you know the martian or whatever it was which didn't even break any rules it was just published differently Um, yeah didn't really break any rules was just good was just a good book was just good but like then you know the big five someone from the big publishing houses will pick it up and say okay cool now we can publish this kind of book because there's a proven success there's already an audience for it yeah so you do take risks if you're breaking um breaking craft rules can mean weird POV choices. You know, Elon, I think you mentioned that you read a book that was third person and then switched to first. Yeah, I hate when you do that. The name of the wind the does that. Wind, it's, you know, one brilliantly. The, it's a brilliantly. fantastic yeah. Uh, yeah. story. Yeah, I mean that's like the no rule. Segue. I mean that's doesn't, that he I doesn't would do it. Oh, sorry. Go on, Katie. Okay. I'm just saying that in a developmental edit, that's something we would say, like, oh, I don't know if you should do that, right? Yeah. But clearly it worked really well. I think that, that if The Name of the Wind was done entirely in first person without the sort of uh, that larger framework, the larger framework, that larger setting of, like, the story being told in a pub, um, I think that it would be a lot harder to commit to following the slower moments in the story. Because you know that other adventures are going to happen. You've heard him... You've heard the main character call these other names. You you have a an idea that it's gonna go somewhere. So when there's a slower sequence that takes place, you're like, I'm I'm still in it. I know he's gonna become the bloodless. How does he do that? And then he mm-hmm. does that, and you're like, I knew that was gonna happen somehow. I knew something was gonna go down there. Um, and so yeah, it was a super weird thing to do, and it was only done correctly because of a lot of really careful consideration. Um, I think that Pat Rothfuss put in like an an enormous amount of work to make that book work. Um, and 14 you know, years path, of time the proof is in the pudding I mean it is such an extraordinarily good book it's a, such a fantastic yeah. read um, that yeah man I just hope he doesn't take 14 years for the next one but if he needs it I'll keep watching him <laughs> on Steam or on, uh, <laughs> right? on Twitch like whatever I, no worries <laughs> I think he actually spent the 14 years he wrote the entire trilogy he spent 7 years doing that and then he spent an additional 7 years perfecting the first book so I, mean, uh, I think the others will come <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's the type of commitment you should put into something. I mean, if if your scope is that big, if you know, you're trying to write the next Lord of the Rings, you can't expect you're going to pop, pop that off in a year. You know, that's, uh, I mean, you can try, but you're probably going to end up competing with a lot of the other epic fantasy fiction out there, which is a lot of people saying, Hey, I wrote a great fantasy book. It's going to be the next Lord of the Rings. And a lot of people are doing that. So if you want to yeah, stand apart, have, you know, like maps and elves and dwarves, which doesn't actually—that's right. not actually what made Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. It was its scope. Mm-hmm. It was its focus. It was yeah. a lot yeah. of different things. But um, yeah. Well, I actually and I have think a too, question. Like, yeah. Go ahead, Dale. Yeah, I'm wondering. Okay, when a piece of work actually breaks the craft rules of 
its genre or just in general, how do you know if it's good or if it's just garbage <laughs> per se? <laughs> Trust That's your a really editor. good question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm to your editor. <laughs> I mean, I think for me, the rule is, so I read this book that was in first person, um, but it was like very, or actually it was the book I just mentioned, uh, The Unit. It's in first person. It's fine. Like, um, it's exactly what you expect out of first person. Like, I walked into the room. I looked over here. I felt this, you know, like normal first person. And then 80% of the way through the book, she talks to the reader. She says, and now I need you to do this. And I was like, whoa. But it made me like excited. You know, I was like, yeah. So if you feel, if it makes you feel good, then they did it right. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's sort of the simplest answer. Is like, is there, it, is there a science it, to it though, per se? Yeah, there is. I, I think <laughs> one, one key thing with regard to that, it, it, this, to- I, this kind of topic's been floating around in my head for our, our whole episode here. Your audience, know your audience. That is the biggest thing. A lot of writers sit down and write and they only think about themselves and how they feel about what they write. But that that doesn't mean anything. I mean, in a way, the most important skill you can gain as a writer is to see what you're writing, how your audience is going to see it. And when you can separate yourself from that, that's great. Now, unfortunately, it's impossible to do that perfectly, which is why having an editor helps. Mm-hmm. Editor, beta readers who are in your target audience allows you to know, are you hitting the right notes? Or are you way off? Um, so like Katie, you, great example, you you shared a reaction. And so for that author, if that's what they were intending to do, they're going to totally break the rules, but they want, they, you had, they had that effect where the reader went, whoa, that's what you want to do. Well, that's great. You know, say you make a character, a common problem that I think a lot of editors see as un- unlikable characters, characters who you just hate and you don't want to have anything to do with, well, you're not going to read that book because you're going to get bored and because you're not connecting to them, you don't care about what happens. So how can you deal with that um, and make sure that what's happening is still going to engage the reader? I mean, good example is Jamie Lannister mm-hmm. in uh, Game of Thrones. Yes. He became a point-of-view character. He's an awesome character. Like, I love his chapters. Um, Cersei became a point-of-view character, and I love her chapters, too. But, I mean, again, see, the, the thing is relatable. George R. R. Martin makes those characters relatable mm-hmm. so that even though we may not think they're good people, we at least understand what drives them. So we, 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 in, a, we in some kind of way, root for them. Because uh, that allows the us to engage that, with them. Yeah, we see we yeah. see where they're broken, and and that little wicked part of us that all exists in every one of us that that you know we 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 kind of relate to that saying, well, you know, if I wasn't a good person, if I was bad and selfish, yeah, you know, like I'd get I I I lay waste to all my enemies and scheme and yeah. destroy them, you know, like there's yeah. that it's, it's a way to connect to the reader, and if you don't present that, it's not going to work. So that's yeah. that's just. There's another well, podcast I'm... that I listen to. Sorry, Katie. Um, that is, uh, it's called Writing Excuses. Many of you have probably heard of it. Uh, it's Brandon Sanderson, Mary Robinette Kowal, Dan Wells, and Howard Taylor, a bunch of established uh, creatives in writing, and uh, one of them is in comics. But one thing that they talk about, which I think is really uh, like apropos of Dale's question and, and uh, Katie's answer, is they talk about sort of hacking the brain of your audience, um, and that's what writing is. Mm-hmm. You are inputting a bunch of information to achieve a result 
and that result is an emotional impact or uh, of any kind. It could be joy, surprise, horror, fear, uh, adventure, you know, adrenaline rush, arousal, whatever it is that you want to achieve your to achieve in your reader, you are putting in a bunch of data to to elicit a result. Um, and and you know like it's not a perfect analogy because you know if you're trying to hack something you can't break a lot of rules you have to know the rules well enough to work around them which i think is another great way of looking at this um you know the rules well enough to say i want to achieve this thing i'm going to break the fourth wall 80 percent of the way through the book and achieve this sense of wow surprise and joy in the reader that you know gets them further invested into the story and other uh, yeah. other rules can be broken as well you know like there's this kind of like uh, the thing that happens for me in the pat rothfuss book where he breaks from uh third to first person is there's this kind of like large focus and then when he sits down to begin telling the story there's almost for me there's almost like a physical feeling that my brain is going further into the page and i'm going a layer deeper into the story and i feel like i'm there in the present moment listening to a story being told about the past um which is a really really cool feeling for me as a reader and that somehow managed manages to permeate the entirety of a 700 page book um yeah i mean the most here and there the most objective test, Dale, to say, like, is this working or is this not working? And this this really applies on a larger scale. This applies to books on, like, the, the basis of level, like, for a character or a scene. Um, it's like, is the book the same without it? So if there's no, right, right. If, the, if the author never talks to me, do I feel the same way? No, right? Like, and, and in, in some ways, like, the the... Breaking of the rules, for the, for the most part, is about eliciting reader feelings um, or signifying a change somehow, and and that matters to the reader. Um, so yeah, I mean, if it just isn't, if it feels the same without it, then it doesn't work, and it just wasn't effective. But really, following the rules really well and then breaking it makes you, as a reader, know that they did it on purpose. And that makes you think, like, hmm, what are they trying to do here, right? And if, if you don't already know, uh, which probably you you do, but. That's a really great point. Um, I, my, my thought just evaporated. We are at about 25 <laughs> minutes. Um, so let's do, like, a quick ad. We are Story Perfect. We edit books. We are now part of Story Perfect, Inc. But we are Story Perfect Editing Services, and we edit uh long form short form whatever you like um and and we we really love uh fiction so please send us some to edit. <laughs> um i want to keep this conversation going because i'm super interested in it um I, I think that the the point that we've come to essentially is this idea that yes you can break the rules for the right reason and for the right um to elicit the right outcome. If you're breaking the rules for the sake of breaking the rules, just for the sake of sort of like, oh, look how different I am. I Ulysses. I don't use periods. Like, oh, look <laughs> at me. I can also just like make unwieldy run-on sentences. Um, that's not really going to make make anyone go, you know, that that author knew something because that author didn't use punctuation correctly. What is going to make a huge difference? is something that's going to make your reader stop and say, wow, that author got something through to me that I didn't expect. Um, and that should be what you're trying to achieve with all of your work, regardless of if you want to write just like a plain adventure story or like an exciting mystery or a spy novel or, or like uh, an essay about the efficacy of food substitutes. Like whatever it is, you want to achieve something that is bigger than the work in your reader. You want them to 
agree with you about something. You want them to go on this ride with you. You want them to be surprised and awed. You want them to feel the majesty of an enormous city that doesn't really exist. You want them to feel the fear that your character fears when the little crafty and horror shows up in their house. Um, and if you need to break the rules to achieve those things, then go for it and talk to an editor afterwards because yeah. they'll be able to be like, hey, that was a really cool thing. I support this, but let's figure out how to fix this to make it as yeah. tight and as effective as possible. And I will say that although although the the craft the breaking craft rules is riskier, I am more supportive of that than of breaking like grammar rules because I find that breaking breaking grammar rules doesn't generally have like a huge emotional affect. The only time I can think where it was effective is probably um, the Sound and the Fury, which is a Faulkner novel. And he has different POVs and there's one character that doesn't have punctuation and or or not much. And it's really confusing until you realize that it's a person who is like uh, mentally handicapped. And then you think like, oh, this is like stream of consciousness. That's why there's no like real punctuation. That's why it sounds like this. But that goes back to the idea that like it's character specific. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so... I'm mostly against breaking grammar rules as a copy editor because I'll want to fix them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, and the great thing about having a copy editor go over that, even if you're intentionally doing it, is you have that moment, like sort of like you're playing devil's advocate and saying, well, this yeah. is a rule. You know you're breaking that rule. And then the author can decide, do they really want to do this exactly. or not? Yeah, but like John said earlier in the podcast, it's it's really critical to still have a set of beta readers, to still have a set of uh, editors, to have people read your work that are interested in your genre that can help you sort of determine if those decisions you made to break these uh, overarching sort of rules or these specific grammar rules um, is effective and is achieving the result that you're aiming for. Um, we are about at 27 minutes, so I want to start cutting off the podcast. Does anyone have anything they want to add? Uh, final thoughts. Does everyone agree with Katie that we should err on the side of, um, or not err on the side of anything, that we should be as <laughs> close as possible to grammatical rules? Uh, does that, is that... I'll, I'll say that unless your character is mentally handicapped in any way, like the character from Flowers for Algernon, stick with what Katie said, which is keep it, keep it simple, keep it clean, and keep to the rules. My, my closing remark would be always tell the story no matter what and make yourself disappear. So when the reader reads the story, they're reading the story and it's, you're, not, you're, you're not involved. You just translated, the, let the narrator do yeah. their thing. And so if the story calls for breaking of the rules, then that's part of it. But if it's just because you want to mess around and show how smart you are or whatever, I mean, if that's what happens when you're breaking the rules, that's going to come across. Yeah. For sure. Ian, any final thoughts? Um, going back to having the narrator in the story, like what John just said, what about Let Me Snicket? I mean, he put himself into the story, like Daniel Handler, like as the person following the orphans around, <laughs> creepily documenting their lives. Um, I mean, there's I would that. say that's part of the story. Because like, mm -hmm. that way yeah. that story is told, it's that's that's in the nature of how he does it. The voice, the, mm -hmm. the narration, that's part yeah. of it that you feel yeah. like. I mean, if, as long as you establish that that's the rule and that's how the mm -hmm. story is being told, then it's 
clear. Yeah. But what I what I mean when I say make yourself invisible is don't let the reader kind of see the, a writer trying to pull off okay. certain yeah. things. Uh, it should be part of how the story wants to be told. Yeah, to that same effect, I think my my parting thought would just be that each each work has its own set of rules. They're the rules that you establish for it, and those are the rules you need to follow. You need to be consistent with whether you're breaking rules or you know setting new POVs or changing the way you use grammar. The more consistent you are, the more purposeful it is and more impactful. So keep to the set of rules, whether that's, you know, the larger set of rules or your specific set of rules, like it's just the work itself needs to stand alone without your help, without you explaining what you were trying to do, like John said. Mm. That's a really good way of, uh, of putting it. Um, so that, that just about puts us 30 minutes. I want to say uh, thank you very much to our podcasters again. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, thank you listeners for joining us as always. Um, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Um, tune in next time and go to storyperfectediting.com for all of your editorial needs. Bye.